Well, like I already said, a few months ago we moved here to Georgia. And so part of that moving process uh, for us was finding a company to move us. Highly recommend if you can do that when you move. And so uh, I was spending uh, a few weeks collecting quotes, um, trying to figure out the best, uh, the best and most affordable option for us. And so I had several representatives from all these different moving companies come into our home in Binghampton and Memphis and um, look around and give us a quote on what it would cost us um, for them to move us here to Georgia. And so one of those times stands out to me. I'm walking around the house with this, uh, this moving company representative and uh, he's taking notes on his iPad and we're turning the corner to the final room in our house and it's uh, my home office or my study. And um, if, if you ever saw our house over there on Hale Avenue, you know there's, um, man, this was my favorite part of our house, floor-to-ceiling, built-in bookcases. And I love books and love collecting books. Haven't read many of them, but I love having them. And uh, so those bookshelves are filled with many thick, thick books. And so the representative turned to the corner with me uh, into my study and sort of stopped and looked from the floor to the ceiling and observed all these books and he said something that struck me he said you know it's not really how much stuff you have that matters what really matters is weight what really matters is weight in my home literally the heaviest thing is is lots of thick books and so that that led me to this this question that I that I was pondering, and I'd, I'd love to invite you to reflect on as well, um, not about your home, but about your life. What's heaviest? What's weightiest? What's taking up the most room? So in our Old Testament reading in the Book of Exodus, the word glory shows up two different times. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. Kavod, in true Christ City style, even though you're at home on your couch, say that with me. That, that's the sort of word that you just, you just want to say out loud, right? Kavod, kavod. That's the Hebrew word for glory. Now, this word kavod is semantically different from the Greek, the New Testament Greek word for glory, which is doxa, and our English word for glory. But it, It's different. It's semantically different. The word kavod literally means weight, weight, or heaviness. So the glory of the Lord, the kavod of the Lord, means the full weight of all that God is, his vastness and bigness and grandeur, his kavod, his weightiness, his glory. So this question that I'm asking you to reflect on, what's heaviest in your life, can be said another way. What are you glorying in? What are you glorying in? Because whether you recognize it or not, you're glorying in something. You're giving weight to something. You're giving worth to something. There's something outside of you that's giving you a sense of purpose, something that's defining your identity, something that you delight in, something ultimately that you even worship because you're a human and humans are meant to glory in something. Your heart craves glory and your heart is restless. It's restless ultimately until it glories in God alone. I love how St. Augustine famously and beautifully says this. He, he writes, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Humans, we're created to glory in something. We're created to glory in God. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. So this idea 
glorying in God. It's a kind of a weird churchy sounding thing. So what does it even mean? I think that these two epic stories in Scripture, in Exodus 24 and in Matthew chapter 17, give us some clues. They help us to understand what it means to glory in God. So I want to take a moment with you to unpack these stories, to join with Moses and Peter and James and John and behold glory together. So first, let's look at Exodus chapter 24. And again, it'll really help if you have your eyes on Scripture. So I invite you to turn there with me in Exodus chapter 24. So in the story, Moses and some other leaders of Israel are ascending Mount Sinai. That's what God's asking them to do. Listen again to verses 9 through 11. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. So imagine this scene. 70 of the leaders of Israel going up Mount Sinai. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw, they beheld God. The passage says, Under his feet, as it were, was a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Listen to this line. I love it. They beheld God, and they ate and drank. Imagine that scene. They beheld God, and they ate and they drank. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And then in the story we read, God invites Moses to borrow a line from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Last Battle. God invites Moses further up and further in, further up and further in, further up the mountain and further into the presence of God himself, further up the mountain that was covered by a cloud where the text says, the glory, the kavod of the Lord dwelt. Then after six days, this is important, after six days, on the seventh day, God calls out to Moses from this cloud. And the text says that Moses beheld again the glory of the Lord as a devouring fire, a bright, burning, dazzling light. Moses beheld the glory of the Lord as a devouring fire, a bright, burning, dazzling light. What a crazy, epic, magnificent scene. Now, fast forward more than a thousand years to Matthew chapter 17, and we encounter another epic and magnificent scene. Can you guess where? On a mountain. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John further up and further in, further up the mountain and further into the presence of God. And then after six days, is this sounding familiar? On the seventh day, Peter, James, and John behold something amazing, but with the story that we just talked about in the book of Exodus in our head, something that's probably not entirely surprising. They encounter, they see a bright, burning, dazzling light surrounding Jesus himself. Once again, in Matthew chapter 17, like in Exodus chapter 24, humans behold glory on a mountaintop. This time, the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. This story, the gospel story, Matthew chapter 17, is making a significant statement that we could spend hours unpacking at another time, and that's that Jesus is divine. Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully human. The full weight of God's glory, God's vastness and bigness and grandeur and beauty and light, all of that is embodied in the person of Jesus. But I believe that these just aren't ancient stories that just motivate us and inspire us, like these epic scenes that are, that are fun to talk about, though they are. 
I believe that these stories are a real foretaste of what you're meant to experience, that God is inviting you right here, right now, further up and further in, further up the mountain and further into the presence of God himself. So let me show you what I mean, and then let me show you how, how you can go about journeying further up and further in. So the Apostle Paul wrote the uh, book of 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church at Corinth. And I think surely that he must have had these scenes in mind when he was composing, especially 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where in the face of Jesus Christ. So again, you're created to behold glory. It's what your heart craves. And look at what St. Paul is saying here. We behold glory, the full glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How? Paul says that, that God shines in our hearts. What, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means in a, in a simple statement. Through the indwelling presence, the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. Through the power and the presence, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we behold the glory that we are created to behold, the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. It's through the Spirit, through God's Spirit, that we journey further up and further in. Through the Spirit's ministry shining in our heart, pointing our hearts towards the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Let me say it again. Through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit, we behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. Rewind a chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at what Paul says there. He writes, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So by the Spirit we're beholding the glory of the Lord and through beholding the glory of the Lord we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is how you grow as the human that you're created to be. How you grow as a follower of Jesus. How you ultimately recover your life and reimagine your purpose and go about refreshing your world through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit pointing your heart toward the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. So my question for you is, are you instead settling for lesser things? Like I said, we're all created to glory in something. We're created ultimately to glory in God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the face of Jesus Christ. But are you settling for lesser things? C.S. Lewis uses this, this line that um, we're offered a holiday at sea like this beautiful, refreshing thing, but instead we're satisfied with playing with mud pies in the sand. How are you settling for lesser things, glorying in things that are far less glorious? What are you glorying in? Take a personal inventory. Look at how you're spending your time. Look at how you're spending your money. Look at who you're following on social media. Think about your brain space and what occupies that sort of space. And then look instead to Jesus 
and ask God for the indwelling presence, the indwelling power, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that will point your hearts towards the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, the ultimately glorious one that you were created to behold and glory in. So, for me at least, I don't know about you, this, this sounds good and inspiring, but what does it practically look like? Like it's one of those things that you hear about, oh, that's awesome, that's inspiring, but like tomorrow on Monday, what does this actually look like? How do we practically journey further up and further in through the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit? What does that look like? There are a few clues here in the transfiguration story itself that help us see practically what it looks like to journey further up and further in. So let me show you um, three different things. First, uh, the transfiguration story, we read it from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, but it's also recorded in the Gospels of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke. And in Mark's account of the transfiguration story in Mark chapter 9, uh, there's this, this funny phrase that, that's caught my eye. And so it's Mark chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. Listen, listen and see if you can catch it as well. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. This amazing thing is happening before their eyes, right in front of them. And, and Peter can't keep still and quiet and simply behold what's happening. Have you ever been like that? Like something is happening, you're like, I have to say something. What can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And so Peter kind of um, just says some crazy stuff here. But it's easy to make fun of Peter. But I don't know about you, but I experience this all the time because silence is uncomfortable. Sometimes it's hard to just sit still and quiet and behold glory. We feel like we have to perform. We have to say the right thing and do the right thing and be the right thing. But in scripture, God regularly meets people in the quiet, in the stillness, in the silence. So be still, be quiet. Let the Holy Spirit do his work to point your heart toward the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, 2020 seems like a year that we'd have plenty of time and space to be still and quiet, right? Like we're at home, we're doing less stuff, we're going less, we're going to the office less, or whatever it is that you do every day. We're, we just have more time to ourselves, many of us in real isolation. So it seems like a year, this seems like kind of the ideal time for us to experience and practice stillness and silence. I don't know about you, but for me, that has definitely not been the case. Like, sure, there's time and there's space, but I find myself checking out more than ever, spending more time on my phone, doing the exact opposite of being still and being quiet because it's hard to sit in the stillness. It's hard to experience silence. That's when all sorts of things come up inside of us that maybe we just want to ignore, and there's a lot of that sort of stuff this year. So to get together today, let's recommit to practicing stillness and silence. I love how y'all are practicing this at Christ City, how Diane's uh, leading times of centering prayer. I encourage y'all uh, to get involved and practice stillness and silence. Cultivate that practice. The second thing is in Luke's 
uh, account of the transfiguration story. It's in Luke chapter 9. And again, there's this, there's this funny little phrase that's, that caught my eye this week. Um, Luke writes it this way. Now Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. I think this is such a good description of all of us. We're not fully awake. We're heavy with sleep, so we miss out on God's glory that's all around us. Glimmers of God's glory are all around us all the time. One old mystic said that God is everywhere present all the time, but we're asleep we're asleep to God's glory, these glimmers of God's glory that are all around us. Whether it's actual, literal, physical tiredness and we're just sleepy because we're doing too much, or whether it's busyness or frantic activity, or whether it's checking out or always looking down at our phone, our eyes are closed to God's glory around us. So wake up. Be awake to what God is doing in your midst, especially as you cultivate stillness and silence. This is one thing that I found true in my own life. As I practice that, as I lean into that, as I cultivate that, I find myself waking up, being alert to more and more God's glory all around me all the time. I love Psalm 19. Uh, I don't know about y'all in Memphis, but here in Georgia this week, it's been so beautiful. So I'm thinking about this psalm often. Uh, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Wake up. Look around you. Creation itself is screaming of God's glory and His grandeur and His greatness. God's glory is also all around you in people, in human beings. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's a little bit longer, and we don't have a screen like a Sunday morning that I can put it on. So just listen to this amazing, profound quote uh, from C.S. Lewis. He writes in his, his little book of essays, The Weight of Glory, he says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. So behold God's glory in people who are created in his image. Wake up, wake up, look around and behold God's glory. And then the last thing is it's a clue buried in one of Peter's epistles. Um, so Peter is uh, one of the disciples experiencing the transfiguration of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 17. And then in his letter, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, he says something important. Again, it's a longer quote, but listen uh, to this uh, section of scripture from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We beheld his majesty with our very own eyes. And he's talking here about the transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
So Peter's saying, we saw this with our own eyes. We heard this with our own ears. But look at what he says here. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter says, we beheld this with our own eyes, we heard this with our own ears, but we have something too. We have scripture. We have scripture and it's true and trustworthy and we can immerse ourselves in the story of scripture and behold God's glory through his words to us in the pages of our Bible. So, be quiet, be still, wake up, be aware, don't be asleep to God's glory that's all around you, and then immerse yourself in the glory of Scripture and see God's glory on the pages of your Bible. So Christ City Church, I so long that this would be true for y'all. I love you, and I miss you, and I think of you often, and I hope and pray that you would experience the glory of God more and more, that the Holy Spirit would shine light in your hearts and point your hearts towards Jesus, and that as you behold Jesus, you will behold the glory of the Lord, and that in doing so, you would find rest for your restless heart, that you would experience transformation, recovery of life, reimagining your purpose, refreshing the world more and more as you behold Jesus from one degree of glory to another. It's been so good to be with you all this morning. Hope to be able to see you at some point down the road. Let me close by praying for you. Father, thank you for Christ City Church. What a beautiful outpost of your kingdom there in Midtown Memphis. Thank you for the people of Christ City Church. Thank you for the leaders of Christ City Church, Jamin and the elders and the staff. I pray that you would bless Christ City Church. I pray that you would shine in the hearts of every person at Christ City Church, that the Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in a powerful way, and that everyone at Christ City would, would behold your glory, that they'd experience rest for their restless hearts, that they'd experience transformation, and that you would continue to do a good work in and through Christ City Church. We pray all this for the glory of your name, Jesus. And in your name, in your mighty and powerful name, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless. Thanks, y'all.